Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on the State of Ukraine, fighting corruption in Ukraine and a view on the ground of the war between Israel and Hamas. I'm Greg Dixon. From the very beginning, this podcast has kept a sharp focus on the war in Ukraine and its global impact, and we're going to keep focusing on that. But now, there's another war with international consequences between Israel and the Hamas militant group in Gaza. Because we know you're interested in global affairs, we're going to widen our focus, and soon we'll have a new name that reflects that. So in a few minutes, you'll hear about Ukraine's ongoing efforts to fight corruption. But first, NPR's Daniel Estrin is in Israel, where people are reacting to and processing what has happened. As of this recording, Tuesday, October 10th, authorities say more than 1,000 Israelis were killed in the invasion by Hamas militants, and more than 100 Israeli men, women, and children have been taken hostage into Gaza. Israel says its already massive attacks on the Gaza Strip are just the beginning. Palestinian authorities say more than 800 people, including children, have been killed in airstrikes in Gaza, and there are concerns that this could grow into a regional conflict. Daniel spoke to Steve Inskeep. Daniel, will you reset the scene for us? What's happening right now? Yeah, let me just orient you on the map. I'm in Tel Aviv on the Mediterranean coast. South of here uh, is the Gaza Strip, just about southwest uh, uh, of the country. And and around the Gaza Strip are Israeli communities that have been attacked starting Saturday morning. Is Hamas militants coming in on paragliders and motorcycles. You've heard all of that. And even today, we were hearing reports that there were just a couple more firefights between Hamas militants and Israeli troops in a couple of communities there. But uh, Israel says it killed many hundreds of Gaza militants inside Israel. It says there are no more infiltrations from Gaza and that Israel has nearly completed the evacuation of Israeli civilians uh, around the border area. Of course, a lot of concerns about hostages inside Gaza. No more infiltrations, meaning that from the Israeli point of view, they have regained control of all Israeli territory. Is that what that means? Well, the army says mostly regain control, ah, more okay. or less is the quote. Understood, understood. So I know that you were down in that region last evening. What did you see? Yeah, we stopped at a highway rest stop uh, close to the areas that have been inv- that were invaded by Hamas. You know, we saw the McDonald's and all the restaurants at that stop were closed, but uh, it was this hive of activity, Israelis coming from across the country to help in any way they can. And, and I recorded along the way. We are now driving in between two cars as a volunteer convoy of armed Israelis, a father and three sons. They are rushing into the town of Sderot right along the Gaza border to rescue families, Israelis, who have been stuck in their safe rooms in their homes as the attacks have been unfolding. And as we're driving, we're seeing now huge flames and plume of smoke. Here it is. Look right there in front of us. We pass an open field in flames where it looks like a rocket has fallen. And we enter the town of Sderot that's being emptied. We just passed a car that was smashed into an electric pole. We stop outside an apartment building and a family rushes into the volunteers' cars. There's a mom, a dad, and three daughters. They're really stressed. We don't have time to talk. They're rushing into the car and we speed back to the rest stop 
where I see the young girls finally smile. They're relieved to get out. And at this rest stop, I hear what is on Israelis' minds, routine concerns, and some of their thoughts on the war. I run into a familiar face, Ronit Sela. She is Israeli. For 10 years, she worked for an organization advocating Palestinian rights in Jerusalem. But now she's one of the volunteer drivers rescuing Israelis trying to escape. When Israeli Jews know that I help Palestinians, they often view me as somebody who chose a side. And as a human rights activist, I can say that I chose humanity. Right now, there are families with kids and disabled people who are just in panic, and they need to be evacuated to a safe place. Uh, so for me, it's a, it's a continuation. It's not opposites. It's one of the same. And we also meet a 64-year-old man in uniform, Dudi Kalaniado. He's volunteering as an army reservist, and he went to a community that had been invaded by Hamas militants. He went to help the animals. To rescue cows, milking cows, that didn't been milked for the last three days because there is a war. They didn't have food. It's a community that depends on the cows for its livelihood. Keeping the cows alive means keeping hope alive that the Israeli residents can return when the war ends. And I asked him how he's feeling about the war. Feelings now are in the sides. We don't feel now, but it's terrible. It's terrible what happened. Terrible and unbelievable. He had also rescued his nephew's dog, Pluto. The dog had been locked up for more than two days at home. The home had come under Hamas gunfire. We filled the entire bathtub with water, and we left a whole sack of dog food open for him. And we told him, we'll come back to take him. That's the dog's owner, Amir Tibon. He's an Israeli newspaper journalist. He is relieved to be back with his dog, and he's thankful to his uncle. He did an amazing thing today, because he saved the cows, and he saved the dog, but he saved the kibbutz. Look at all the helpers here. Isn't that amazing? It is, but there's one, uh, one organization that is not really being helpful right now. It's the government. Where are they? We don't, we don't understand what's going on. I mean, this is a huge failure of the government. We have to fight. We have to win. But this will not be forgotten. What happened here is the biggest failure in the history of the state of Israel. So at this rest stop, you see the spirit of Israelis rushing to help in any way they can. And military helicopters are flying above. Soldiers are gathering there at that rest stop on their way to the Gaza border for a potential ground invasion, not knowing if they'll come back alive. And we see one religious Jewish man offering soldiers blessings and hugs. He puts his hands on their heads and he recites a biblical blessing. May God bless you and protect you and bring you peace. And one by one, he gives the soldiers a long hug. Powerful reporting from our colleague Daniel Estrin, who was near the scene of the fighting in southwest Israel last evening. He's now back in Tel Aviv and still on the line. And Daniel, of course, continuing to report. So what are you hearing, Daniel, from the other side of the battle lines that would be inside Gaza? Yeah, you know, it's be, I've been working the phones because the Gaza border is sealed off. Journalists like me cannot get in. Um, now Egypt's border with Gaza is closed, so Palestinians cannot escape Gaza at all. Uh, over 180,000 Palestinians have fled their homes, according to the United Nations. They're seeking shelter inside Gaza, in UN facilities, even in the main hospital. And our producer, Anas Baba, in Gaza, met one woman, M. Mahmoud Kolak. She was amid the crowd of Palestinians seeking shelter at the hospital, and here's what she told us. 
لا 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 للعدد هذا من العائلات ولا لليهود She's saying, no, 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 this area is not safe for all the people here, not safe from Israeli attacks. She said there's no safe place in Gaza. Daniel, I just want to make sure that I'm clear on this. Prime Minister Netanyahu told Palestinian civilians, you better flee because we are coming for Hamas. There's nowhere for them to go or at least not much of a place they can go. Nowhere for them to escape Gaza. Uh, There are places like the UN facilities, but uh, as this woman has just said, uh, they don't feel safe anywhere. NPR's Daniel Estrin continuing to report for us from Israel. Daniel, thank you so much. You're welcome, Steve. And back to Ukraine now. As continued U.S. aid for the war is in doubt, some members of Congress point to Ukraine's reputation for corruption as a reason to cut off funds. That same concern has also been raised by the European Union as Ukraine seeks membership. But Ukrainians think that image is outdated and doesn't reflect how hard they've worked at reform. Here's more from NPR's Joanna Kakissis in Kyiv. On the outskirts of Ukraine's capital, there's a sprawling estate that used to belong to a former Ukrainian president. He had a zoo, a multi-room spa, an antique car collection, even his own gas station. Tour guide Anastasia Lazo shows us a vintage ship docked on the river that served as his private restaurant. And uh, inside there are also like decoration Swarovski chandeliers. There were expensive uh, plates and cups like Versace. Rumors spread that even the toilets in his mansion were gold-plated. He was crazy about the gilded decorations and all these things because it's this old mentality that gold is something it will make you the master The ex-president, Viktor Yanukovych, paid for it all with taxpayer money. When Ukrainians found out, they were enraged. He fled to Russia almost 10 years ago. So that's the door from where he escaped. Ukraine's leaders say they've been fighting corruption and Western perceptions ever since. I hear this word corruption, corruption, corruption. That's Olga Stefanishina, Ukraine's deputy prime minister for European integration, speaking in Warsaw recently. It's fight against corruption. This is what we do in Ukraine. We fight against corruption. Ukraine's reputation as a corrupt, unreformable country dates to the collapse of the Soviet Union. Newly independent Ukraine saw its state-owned businesses snapped up by organized crime with links to the KGB. Like the gas pipeline, like titanium production, like chemical agricultural production. Daria Kalinyuk is executive director of the Anti-Corruption Action Center in Kyiv. The strategy of Kremlin was, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, to use oligarchs to control the strategic assets, to control Ukraine from inside. And petty corruption at every level of society corroded daily life. Ukrainians had to pay bribes to secure building permits, to open businesses, to keep police from harassing them. After the ouster of Yanukovych a decade ago, anti-corruption activists pushed for transparency reforms in line with Europe. Ukraine established all institutions which are necessary to fight against corruption. Said he, Leshenko is an advisor to President Volodymyr Zelensky's office. There is anti-corruption bureau, special anti-corruption prosecutor, and special anti-corruption court, plus national agency on corruption prevention. All of these institutions were established with very strong support of international community, including American government. And in 2020, 
Zelensky's administration introduced DIA, an app that provides citizens with a digital ID that helps them pay for public services online and avoid bribes. It's very simple, convenient for them, and uh, it's like easy to get access to public service. Slava Bonik helped develop the DIA app. But this is the top of the iceberg. The bigger part of our work is the part when we have to redevelop state systems to make them more transparent, more secure. Ukraine's fight against corruption has actually ramped up since Russia's full-scale invasion in February 2022. Yaroslav Yurchishin, a member of Ukraine's parliament who is focused on anti-corruption reforms, explains why. Because perception of a society that corruption in a time of war, it's, it's, a, it's murder. Corruption is equal to murder. Yes, yes. Uh, why? Because when you steal some money from budget, in time when this money are very necessary for our security and defense, so the consequences of that is a killing of our soldiers uh, and civilians by Russia. The U.S. Defense Department's inspector general is establishing a new team in Ukraine to scrutinize military aid to the country. And the Biden administration says it will tie future direct budget aid to Ukraine to anti-corruption efforts. And so it has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. People have to have confidence that it's being dealt with. That's philanthropist Howard Buffett speaking to NPR during a recent visit to Ukraine. His foundation has donated nearly half a billion dollars to humanitarian efforts here. It's going to take billions of dollars to rebuild this country. And the people who care about this country and have the authority to make the decisions about how things happen are going to have to make sure that the corruption is not affecting the money that comes in here. Otherwise, you can't be successful in rebuilding. Zelensky is trying to show he has zero tolerance for corruption. He has fired members of his own government over scandals. The head of the Supreme Court has been put on trial for running a bribery scheme. And one of Ukraine's most powerful oligarchs, who helped Zelensky's rise to fame as a comedian, was arrested last month on charges of money laundering and fraud. Leshenko, the presidential advisor, sees Ukraine fighting more than corruption. The most difficult part of the issue, how to fight with the stereotypes. Ukraine has its own stereotypes in the eyes of international audience, and to fight with these stereotypes is very difficult, and this will take maybe decades. The former estate of Yanukovych, the disgraced ex-president, is now a park and museum that's open to the public. A pop-up cafe outside sells refrigerator magnets of his infamous golden toilet, which it turns out never existed. Anastasia Lazo, the tour guide, says that toilet is actually a symbol. It's shorthand for everything that was once wrong with Ukraine. While you are counting your coins, trying to get some food to feed your children to make up your life, some people live like that using your taxes. She says she hopes Ukrainians never forget that. Joanna Kakissis, NPR News, Kyiv. Thank you so much for listening to the State of Ukraine from NPR News. A programming note. As we include important stories from around the world in this podcast feed, we will rename it State of the World from NPR. We know you care about the world and don't want us to ignore the most important developments around the globe. With a bureau in Kyiv and in Moscow, NPR is committed to covering the war in Ukraine. And this is still the place to hear about the most important events in that conflict, as well as all important events around the world. Thanks. We'll see you again soon.
Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit slash NPR and save an additional $200.